The following is a production of the PTB Soccer Podcast Network, the Parking the Bus Soccer Podcast Network. The views expressed on the show are those of the host and solely of the host. For more information, follow the PTB Soccer Network on Instagram at PTB Soccer. That's on Instagram at PTB Soccer. Enjoy the show. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to a special episode of Mr. Benfica. It is the preview for the 2020 Portuguese Cup final that's set to kick off Saturday in Coimbra at the city of Coimbra Stadium. It is Benfica and Porto, the old rivals, the big rivals. This is our biggest rival. We played a rival last week, but this is our biggest rival. I think anyone my age or near there would agree. I know... You know, my grandfather's generation, Sporting, was the biggest rival. But but I think things have changed in the past at least 35, 40 years. But anyway, um, it is Befica versus Porto. It, has, it is at the city of Coimbra Stadium. That's right, not at the Jamor. We talked about this. Um, thank you to everyone who checked out the encore presentation of episode 58 about the last cup final that was played away from the Jamor. Of course, it was the same two teams, Benfica and Porto. That one at the Stadio de Zantes, the Stadio that fortunately no longer exists as <laughs> it's it's an apartment complex today or something like that. Um, but uh, that was one where Porto flexed their political muscle and managed to get the final played in their home stadium. But we, again, the cup is taken out of the Jamur and this time taken to Coimbra. Um, and for those of you that heard the, the episode on the 83 final, of course, Coimbra was the original uh was the original compromise because it's halfway between Lisboa and Porto, but it ended up being an Azantes. This time it will be Coimbra. No fans in the stands, of course. And um, fortunately for those of us living abroad, the match will be televised on RTPE International, okay, at 3.45 Eastern Time here in the United States, 12.45 Pacific. It's at 8.45 or 20.45 uh, Portuguese Standard Time. Um, if you're... If you do not have access to RTP, um, or if you're in Portugal, which many of, of you are, you, you'll you have access to the match on another network in Portugal, of course, and outside of, of uh, the... Outside of the parts of the world where you can get RTPE, uh, you'll have to check your local listings. Hopefully, you can find this match somewhere. Now, there's a lot of history behind this match, as you heard in the documentary um, that we we listened to and talked about in episode 58. Um, a lot of history in Benfica versus Porto. There's only been one. Um, there's been one Benfica Porto this this century, if you will, since the year 2000. Um, in this new millennium, in the cup final, it was of course the famous 2004 final where um, where 
Jose Antonio Camacho let his Benfica team out there. And in our three our tricolor kit, I love that tricolor throwback kit. And let's not – I'm going to stay away from the kits for now, okay? Maybe I'll get to that before the end of this episode, but stay away from the kits. But in that tricolor uh, throwback 1904-style kit, we beat Porto. That would go on to be European champions just a few days later. Okay, they uh, they were coached, of course, by Jose Mourinho at that time. We were coached by Jose Antonio Camacho, and um, it was it was really for many people the turning point for for Benfica in the last fifteen years. Um, from that moment forward, we were we were certainly much more competitive with Porto than we had been in the previous ten years. So it was our first trophy in nine years uh, that day. So now. We we meet up again 16 years later, and uh, Porto are again the champions, so they're going for a double. They're not going for a treble this time. They're going for a double, though. And we have a caretaker manager. Okay, we have Nelson Verissimo in charge, and Nelson Verissimo is actually the second manager in history to take a team or uh, take charge of a team and go to the f- and be in the final without having managed any of the previous matches in the competition. Okay, so this is Nelson Verissimo's debut in the Portuguese Cup, and it's the final against Porto. Um, the only previous time this happened was in 1962 when the final was scheduled for the 1st of July of 1962, really late in the summer. Um, and Fernando Callado took over Benfica in a in a 3-0 victory over Vitória Stubal in the previous um in the previous matches of that year's edition of the tournament they had all been managed by by the legend Bela Gutman but Gutman's contract expired on June the 30th and he did not ma- manage the match the very next day he was already on his way out and this was of course the year uh this was this was after Benfica had had lost the, I believe, the Champions League final to Milan at Wembley that year in '62. I believe my, if my memory serves me correct, Benfica were winners in '60 and '61, and lost the final in '62. I might have the years uh, confused there, so don't take me um, too literally there. But this was definitely a strong Benfica team at that time, and the caretaker manager stepped in in the final and won the final. All right, so I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into this match. We're going to talk a little bit about the history, and we'll talk a little bit about our opponent here on Mr. Benfica. And welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 73. And happy Friday to everybody that's listening to this today. Just as we record, it is Friday. Finally, this has been a week from hell for me. <laughs> as far as, as you know, the, the personal work stuff has gone. It's been absolutely brutal. And I cannot wait until later later today, Friday, 7.30 p.m. when I'm done working and I can crack one open and I can... Uh, Put on some NBA basketball tonight because the NBA is also back. So I'm excited about that. But you're not here to hear about that. You're here to hear about the Passa de Portugal final, the Portuguese Cup final going on Saturday, August the 1st. And we have Benfica and Porto meeting for now the 10th time in the final. So this is an interesting history between Benfica and Porto in the Portuguese Cup final and if you listen to episode 58 you heard uh, the mention of Benfica's uh, 
hegemony, if you will, in cup finals against Porto. Um, and this is something that Porto is much more aware of than Benfica, I believe, in my mind. Because I don't think Pinto da Costa has ever gotten over this. And it's the reason Pinto da Costa tried to move the final from Lisbon. He said that there was a, you know, he started a North versus South propaganda war. And he said that there was a centralization in Lisbon and that Benfica and Porto were working together to keep excuse me Benfica and Sporting were working together to keep Porto out and he tried to turn the people of the north against Benfica and Sporting and uh, I don't know he may have had varying success to that I know a lot of Benficistas from the north so I don't think he was that successful for in fact I know more Benficistas from the north than from anywhere else and um, so here's how the history goes between these two teams in Cup Finals. You have to go back to be the precursor to the Portuguese Cup, which was the Campeonato de Portugal or the Championship of Portugal. Now, this is the competition that preceded the Portuguese Cup. This is the competition where Sporting won four times or six, six times, excuse me. And these are the six extra championships that Sporting tries to attribute to their their records. The Campeonato Portugal, the Portuguese Championship, was not a precursor to the league. It's the precursor to the cup. They are actually, they are actually Portuguese cup victories, but Sporting is counting them as both, which is quite comical. But anyway, they are not the subject of today's episode. But in the old Portuguese Championship, the Campeonato de Portugal, Benfica and Porto met once in the final. It was in 1930. 31, it was played over one game that year. Uh, some years it was played over two legs. Others it was played in a one winner-take-all final. This year was a one winner-take-all in 1930-31. It was Benfica 3, Porto 0 at the Campo do Arnado in Coimbra. Sound familiar? Yeah, it was in Coimbra. And that made sense because back then they tried to find a neutral location to play these finals, so they tr they didn't want to have both teams. Oh, they didn't want to have one team have to travel and incur all the cost of traveling. Because in 1931, traveling from Lisbon to Porto or vice versa was fairly expensive, and um, you know, lodging and hoteling was also expensive. So apparently, there there was a compromise to play the match halfway in Coimbra, and then both uh, both teams had to incur you know their share of expenses. So we move from there to the Taça de Portugal uh, era that started in 1938-39. But Benfica and Porto would not meet again in the final until 1952-53, this time at the already inaugurated Jamor National Stadium. And it would be Benfica 5, Porto 0. They'd meet five years later, 57-58, at the Jamor and this is the one blemish on the record for us. This was Porto 1, Benfica nil. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last time Benfica, Benfica lost a, a Portuguese Cup final to Porto. Um, does that have any effect on this year's final? Eh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I don't think you'll be surprised by what I have to say. But anyway, at this point in 57-58, Porto 1, 1-0, and that was Porto's second Portuguese Cup, okay? That was their second Cup win um, at that time. And f four years later, five years later again, so it, there was a pattern there of every five years for a while of having Benfica Porto. Of course, remember, in this time, Porto are not uh, considered one of the big clubs, okay? Up until 
Pinto da Costa comes into the picture, Porto are an outsider. Okay, they're very much the way we see uh, Sporting Braga today. Um, they did win a few championships and a few cups, but they were not considered a perennial threat to win the league. Um, the league titles were mostly split between Benfica and and uh, Sporting, and you even had Bulanes win a title in there in the 19, I want to say in the late 50s or early 60s. There's a year where Bulanes wins the, ch- the, t- the championship, um, and that's all before Porto had, had you know, that was during Porto's long 18-year drought, I believe. And in 63-64, like we said, Benfica takes on Porto again. And it's at the Jamur. And it is Benfica 6, Porto 2. And that brings the Portuguese Cup tally to, at that time, to Benfica having 12 Portuguese Cups to Porto's 2. And they would not meet again in the final until 79-80. And already in 79-80, Pinto da Costa is the director of football or the football department at Porto. And he's already started up his his hatred for for Benfica and his attempt at splitting the country north-south into Portistas, you know, trying to unite the entire north behind Porto. To try to make them bigger than the two the two clubs in the capital, but in seventy nine eighty history would continue to repeat itself. It'd be Benfica one, Porto nil. This is the famous match in which um, this left this left an especially sour taste in Pinto da Costa's mouth because this was the match where the stadium was filled with Benfica and Sporting fans. You heard that right, Benfica and Sporting fans. Cheering for Benfica together. I, I'm not making this up. You can Google this this cup final. This is a final where I'm assuming he must have offended Sporting fans so bad that they got on the Benfica wagon because there's video of it too. And and you see Benfica fans and Sporting fans walking into the stadium together, each wearing their colors, and both and all of them celebrating Benfica's goal when I believe it was Cesar scores the goal that takes the Portuguese Cup from Porto. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the year Pinto da Costa steps down as the director of football. Zé Maria Pedroto sacked as manager. In 1980-81, the next season, they would meet in the Cup final again, again in Jamor. And it'd be Benfica 3, Porto 1. 82-83, we already know the story of that. It's in the previous episode, of course. Benfica won Porto nil at the Antish. And then the next time they'd meet would be two years later, 84-85. This time back at the Jamor, uh, Porto had stopped playing the games of trying to move the final. But the outcome was the same. It'd be Benfica 3, Porto 1. And then one of the more memorable Benfica matches of my life, and one day I'll have an episode dedicated specifically to this game, so I won't go too far into it. But it was 2003-2004 at the Jamur. Benfica 2, Porto 1 after extra time. Goals, of course, from Fisage and from Simon Sabraza taking the cup from Porto and denying them their second treble in a row. They would, of course, win the UEFA Champions League just days later. So the head-to-head in finals, Benfica holds an 8-1 lead in finals all-time over Porto. Benfica have 26 Portuguese Cups and 10 runner-up uh, medals, while Porto have 16 Cups and 14 
and 14 uh, runner-up medals. So Porto in this match are playing for their 17th cup, and they're trying to get back even with Sporting again for the second most amount of cups. So Porto's road to Coimbra. Okay, I'll go through both. Actually, I'll go through both teams' road to this final in Coimbra. This very windy road that was supposed to be the road to Jamor. And then, of course, we know what happened in early March. And everything was put on hold. We didn't even know if this match would be played. But here it is. Uh, both teams enter the Portuguese Cup at round four. In round four, Porto would win at home 4-0 over Vitoria Stubal while Benfica would travel far up north to Vizela and would squeak out a 2-1 road victory against the third division side. Um, we remember this match. This was not a, a, a well-played match for Benfica. This was not a day Benfica will want to remember, but they did get out with the result and advance to round five. In round five, Porto wins at home again, 1-0 over Santa Clara. While Benfica wins at home 2-1 over Sporting Braga. And it was a good thing Benfica drew Braga when they did. Had they drawn him in a later round after Ruben Amorim had taken over, I think we might have had a different result. So the luck of the draw was on Benfica's side this year in this cup. Go to the quarterfinals. Porto again at home. Porto do not play a away match until the first leg of the semis, but... Again, at home in the quarters, Porto would beat second division side Verzin 2-1. Befica also at home would beat Riuav 3-2. In the semifinals now, the semifinals in Portugal, as we know, are played over two legs. And in the first leg, uh, Porto would draw 1-1 on the road at Académico de Viseu. While Benfica at home would win 3-2 on a late goal from Gabriel. Of course, this is the game Gabriel. Um, this is the last match he played before he had his eye condition you know, take a nasty turn for the worse. And he woke up the next morning not able to see out of that eye. And then in leg number two, we had Porto winning at home against Académico de Viseu 3-0. And Benfica traveling to Villanova de Famalicão. And squeaking out a 1-1 draw enough to advance while they would have been eliminated on a 1-0 loss due to the away goals rule. So Benfica did ju barely just enough to get to this final. This was not a good performance from Benfica. We remember it, we've covered it, and we've talked about it. Not at all something we want to hang our hat on. But we are at the final. All right, so let's take a look now at what we can expect from this Porto side, or at least what I'm expecting. Latest news, according to Abala today, is good. The headline in today's Abala says "Boas notícias a dois dias da final da taça." Good news, two days from the final of the cup. Uh, Sergio Conceição has received word that basically all of his injured players are going to be fit for the final. So we don't. We don't have to get our hopes up about playing against a second-tier squad. Now, here's the 11 that Porto rolled out last Saturday against Braga. In goal, they had Diego, Diogo Costa. You can expect Marquesine to be back in goal for this one, although there is some debate because Diogo Costa has played every match up until now in the Portuguese Cup and whether or not Sergio Conceição is going to continue that quite Portuguese tradition of playing the backup goalkeeper in the Cup. I hope he does. 
Marcusine's a fantastic goalkeeper. He's made his errors, but he's a good goalkeeper. And um, if Marcusine plays, I think we see the two top goalkeepers in in the league, the two top goalkeepers in Portugal right now at this time. Um, but let's let's say if if he continues as he has, Diogo Costa will play this game. I'm not sure. He his back four was Manafa at right back, Pep and Diogo Leite were the center uh, defenders. Now Mabemba has also been cleared fit, so he may he may fill in for Diogo Leite. I don't know. And of course, Alex Telge is the left back. Um, in midfield, he went with four in midfield, and this is the four I expect to see uh, against us. He had uh, Tecatito Corona on the right, uh, Danilo in center, along with Mateus Uribe, and as you know, my uh, my nemesis there, Otavio on the left and up front. He went with Tequinho Suarez and Luis Diaz. I expect to see um, Marega replace Tequinho in this one. Um, uh, Luis Diaz is a good player. I think he's going to start. But, of course, I'm not Sergio Conceição. I'm only speculating. Now, the problems I see for Benfica is in the middle of the pitch. Danilo, Mateus, Oribe. These are big, strong players. Marega, if he plays, expect Marega to continue to do what he's done to us all season when he's played us, and that is to cheat down our right side, okay, and try to exploit our right back, Andre Almeida. Um, in the first, you'll remember that in a, in the first match way back in August, um, you'll remember Nuno Tavares was actually starting at right back. Nuno Tavares, I don't believe, is going to be fit for this match. I think Nelson Verissimo was counting on Tomas Tavares to play in the left. That scares me. I expect Sergio to take full advantage of that, and I expect Porto to attack down our left a lot. He's got Tecatito there, and uh, I expect to see Marega cheating to that side as well. Uh, and with Danilo and, and Uribe, you know, feeding balls to them. Also, you got Manafa, who's a he's a, he's a pretty mediocre right back, but defensively can hold his own while while Tecatito does a lot of the attacking down the right side. I'm very nervous about Porto's right side facing our left side. Of course, we have. A very inexperienced defender there, and if if Nelson Verissimo is gonna, I think it's a mistake personally to put to put um, Tomas Tavares there. There, there's I have some theories as to whether or not he's gonna stick with that. Even though I know the press has said that he's the option, we could see one one week if the manager thinks that it could it could strengthen that side I wouldn't be surprised if Andre Almeida starts at left back to on tomorrow and here's why years ago and it's not easy to make this transition from one day to another but years ago if you'll remember when JJ was our manager before uh, there were plenty of matches where Andre Almeida was our left back we won the first title of the Tetra in the final match or in the, I should say, in the championship clinching match against Olianense, which I went back and watched not too long ago. Andre Almeida is the starting left back in that match. Maxi Pareto was the right back. And um, I think it's an easy enough transition for Andre Almeida. And he's experienced enough that it shouldn't hinder him too much. And Tomas Tavares can play on the right. But even he, uh, 
the thought of him even starting in the, in this match scares me because Porto are not Sporting. They're not going to try to be Barcelona. They're not going to try to ticky-tack their way up the pitch and connect 18 passes before they take a shot. Okay, Porto are going to find a weakness and they're going to go after it. We saw that in in the first match, especially at the Stadio de Luz, when they saw Nuntavarish playing on the right, completely uncomfortable on that side of the field, unable really to use his right foot and always killing the play by putting it on his left. You saw Porto force Benfica to go to the right all game, really. As soon as we try to build up, they, they would position themselves defensively very well and leave the the swing pass to the right wide open, and then they'd collapse on, on Nun Tavares. He would put the ball on his left foot, and he'd be stuck. If Tomas Tavares plays on the left, I expect the same thing. So I expect them to force us to play to our left all the time. Now, if you have Tomas Tavares on the left with Chervi in front of him, it's going to be hard to get an attack going down the left, in my opinion. Tecatito is the outside right midfielder is just as good defensively as he is attack wise. He's he's maybe the best player in this in this whole Porto team. Um, he's a he's a player I've watched for years since he was in in Liga MX since he was in the Mexican league. Very familiar with him. Uh, he he scares me because he can do both. And if we're gonna if that's our two that are gonna attack from that side, I'm nervous. I would rather see. Even more so than seeing Andre Almeida there. I would like to see, and a lot of people think that this is too much of a change. And perhaps it can't happen, but we need whoever plays left half, uh, excuse me, left def, left side defense, left back. Whether it's Andre Almeida, Tomas Tavares, or even Franco Cervi. Whoever plays there, okay, I we need to have Rafa in the left side of midfield, and here's why. Because if Rafa is not... On the left, okay, the commanding attention from Porto's right side, it's going to be a an open highway. It's going to be an autostrada down the right for Tecatito Corona and even for, for Manafa because he's got nobody to be afraid of. As good as Cervi can be, he's not a threat attack-wise, okay? He's not some someone that's lightning fast that can't be picked up by shifting Danilo or, or even Pep if necessary, into the open sp- space to to cut off his lane. So I'm very nervous. That's that's where I think the key battle in this match is going to be played, is, is along that flank there. I expect... I expect Verissimo to do what he's done so far, and I, he's been incredibly predictable, so I expect it to continue, and I am... Unfortunately, expecting Tomas Tavares to play there. Nothing against the kid again, but I think the occasion may be just a little bit too big for him. Um, I'd like to see a better adaptation because one thing you know when you face Porto, you have to come out and fight, and we can't put a, we can't put a team of kids out there to fight. Okay, we cannot put a team of kids out there to fight. I'd like to see also a midfield three in this match for Benfica. Okay. Uh, in order to to deal with that physicality and that strength that Porto has up the middle, I would like to see Florentino, Weigel, and Gabriel start together in midfield. The three of them. It would change the whole way we play, okay? And I wanted to see it last week, but then I got to thinking that if I were Nelson Verissimo and I was going to play that card in the cup final, I wasn't... I, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I would not show that against Sporting in a match where the result had no effect on my team. Perhaps he's worked this in training and has decided whether or not it's going to work and he's held on to that card. 
It's like when you play Sweka, you hold on to the trumpf until you can get the biggest return. And the biggest return would be in this match, obviously. So maybe we'll see that. I don't know. Um, unlikely. But I'd like to think that... I'd like to think, and I'd like to give the benefit of the doubt to Nelson Verissimo, that he's a thinking man, okay? And that he's not just doing the same thing over and over. And that what I don't like to see is what we saw from Ruben Amorim last week against Benfica. This idea that our style is enough and we don't have to pay any attention to the opponent. That's a very naive way that young managers do think. They think they can instill a system that will force everyone else to adapt to them and does not force them to adapt to anyone. And... Um, for me, that's a very naive way to look at the match. And Benfica are better player for player technically. But Porto are better player for player if we're going to have a fight. And when you play Porto, you're going to have a fight. Otavio is going to do his things. He's going to step on heels. He's going to poke you in the air. Do anything to get you to retaliate, all right? If Tiquinho Suarez comes in, he's coming in to hit. He's going to be putting pressure on Ruben and on Jardel, and he's going to be trying to hit them and trying to hit them late. He'll, they'll gladly take cards in this match to impose their physicality. Benfica needs to be prepared for that. They can't come into this match thinking they're going to win by just playing good football, which they haven't really played in a long time. Let's all be honest about that. They have to come into this match ready to fight. This is going to be a battle. It could be a I actually wouldn't be surprised if this is an absolutely, if it's an absolute turd of a football match. As as um, you know, a late friend of my father said, "Não querem jogar futebol, querem fazer toirada." All right, that was a saying he used to say about player about teams that are overly physical. But Porto fits that. They're not looking to play football. They're looking to turn this into a bullfight, into a toirada, into a battle of wits. But I think I need to be prepared for that. How would I go with it? Well. I would obviously go with, with Odie in goal. Back four. It's hard. What I would do doesn't matter. He's going to go with... Nelson's going to go with Andre Almeida, um, Ruben Dias, Jardel, and Tomas Tavares if everybody's healthy, in my opinion. We probably won't see the midfield pair we that I called for, but we may see... Weigel and, and and Tino together, which could be good. I know that they got pulled flat last week one time and it resulted in a goal, but they've had all week to train and they may be able to be in a better understanding of where each one of them is and maybe we can get Weigel going forward a little bit more and getting into spaces and being able to deliver more damaging passes. Let's use that 92% pass efficiency that he had um, further up the pitch because he has a fantastic Everyone talks about passes to the side and back, but his efficiency going forward is good. He's got among the best pass efficiencies in the vertical pass. Okay, um, I think Weigel has been terribly underutilized, and Florentino is the perfect holding mid. So I think it's a no-brainer to put the two of them together in midfield. If it doesn't work, well, you can bring on Gabriel and go to a three-man midfield or something along those lines. I want to see changes... When, when Nelson Verissimo makes changes, I want to see these changes actually change the look of the team and, and force Porto to adapt to a change we made. I don't want to see any like-for-like -like changes, you know, barring any injuries, of course. Uh, you'll see PZ and probably Cervi on, on the flanks. For whatever reason, Rafa has fallen out of favor with Nelson Verissimo. And you will see, I expect, 
Carlos Vinicius to partner with Chiquinho up front. Um, again, I'd rather see Rafa in there. These are the matches that Rafa is crucial because when you have an opponent that can pin you in, like like Porto can, and he did this to perfection last season at the Dragon. Rafa can get back into the into the the left corridor wide. He can make himself open back in the defensive third, and he has the ability to dribble out of that defensive third with his pace. He can carry it away from danger, and he can change the territory where the match is going to be played. Again, I, I harp on this a lot. This, these big matches come down to territory. I don't care what you possess in your own defensive third or in the middle third. That does not hurt anybody. That does not help anybody. I care how, m- how much of the match you can play in your opponent's end. Because if you can pressure their defense to be on their heels longer and longer and longer, eventually the opportunities are going to show up. And the longer you keep the game away from your end, the fewer opportunities your opponent has. I think it's more important to dictate the the territory than it is the possession. So I'd like to see Benfica knock it long a little bit more. I'd like to see them put it, even give it away if necessary, to, be, to Porto's back players to their back line and press high we saw them press Sporting last week when Sporting tried to play out of the back Porto's not interested in doing that but if you can force them to play out of the back by taking away their lanes I think you can then institute a press that will we we saw it last year again the press hurt Porto our goals at the Dragon came from the press Pep, under pressure, is not a world-class defender anymore. He's fine when he can see everything in front of him and he can read the game. Yes, he's, he's still world-class in that sense. Okay, He's also world-class as an instigator. We already know that. But Pep, is, Pep under pressure, is, is no better than Eduardo Koresma, the kid last week under pressure. But you have to put him under pressure. And if we put Porto in a, in, in a situation where they're clearing the ball and it's coming to our defenders at midfield, and now we're controlling territory. So I'd like to see that type of game plan implemented. I don't want to see Benfica trying to possess 60-70% and playing it around the back and playing it side to side. I'd like to see a much more vertical, direct, if, if for lack of a better term, English style to better put ourselves in a better situation to win the match. I want to win the match. I don't want to play well. This is a cup final. There are no status, excuse me, no style points. There is no there is no reason to worry about playing well. I want to win the match. I want to lift the cup at the end of the match. Now, before before we go, this is a this is a obviously an abbreviated episode, but before we go, I <laughs> there's the the talk you know all over the all over the twitter sphere and all over the social media of Benfica's kits that were unveiled today or yesterday officially um rumor has it Benfica will play in these kits on Saturday I'll talk about this more in future episodes because I've got a nice episode lined up for you guys in in about a week or so after this cup final after we're done talking about it I'm going to have a guest on here. First guest in the history of, of Mr. Benfica. And um, first true guest where we're talking about Benfica. And we're going to talk about all the off-season stuff. And the and the kits are going to come into play then and the marketing and all that. So I'm not going to hit on it too much, okay? But if Benfica were Man United, those, those kits would be fantastic. 
Those are those are the best Man United kits I have seen in years. Unfortunately, we are not Man United. We are Benfica. And the club has statutes. And perhaps I'm just being an ultra conservative fan, but I believe those statutes need to be need to be followed. Those statutes are put in place by the membership. Benfica I've been saying this way too much lately in reminding people. Benfica is a democracy. It is not a dictatorship. Or at least we cannot allow it to be a dictatorship. It is a democracy. And things like playing with the crest and playing with the team colors need to be approved by the membership. Okay, I think we have a president taking too many liberties in this in this area. I know a lot of you like the the kits. I I've I've been following the 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 trend, and at first a lot of people with my my line of thinking, my traditional line of thinking, have come out and criticized the kits. And now in the last twenty four hours, the last twelve hours. I've seen some people push back on that saying it's about time we had some innovation. I can see both sides. I don't like it for a primary kit. If that was a third kit that we were going to wear in the League Cup and in the Taça de Portugal, I'd be okay with it. But if we're going to roll that thing out in the Stadio de Luz every home match next year, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. But again, we'll talk about that in a later episode. But expect to see Benfica rocking those kits this Saturday. Um, we know Porto is going to be saying bye to half of their team after this match. Abala reported it this week. Pretty much half of this starting lineup is <laughs> is in is going to be leaving due to the financial constraints of the club. So Tecatito Corona, El, Alex Telsch, um, Daniel Pereira, among others, are expected to be playing their final match in blue and white prison stripes. Sayonara. Although I got. The last time I was excited to see somebody go, the next day something changed. You'll hear it in the news in the next episode. But uh, Porto B, as I call him, Portimonis, seemed to be saved by by the league and by the federation. Um, a lot of fishy stuff going on in Portugal. As usual, that'll be topic for another day. Um, but yeah, uh, Tiquinho also on his way out, supposedly. I don't know who in the world would want him, but, but uh, all the power to him. And of course, a lot of their kids are are <laughs> they're their more valuable players are are the you know the Tomas Stivj and the and the Fabio Silva, Fabio Vieira, Vieira, Vitinho. So the rumors are that those kids might be sold as well. We'll see what happens. Hey, I hope Porto sells everybody. I hope they go bankrupt, and I hope they have a horrible season every season. So you won't get any sympathy from me about their financial situation. They did it to themselves. It is what it is. I hope that if it's true and they have to reduce their squad that much, that we jump on them, step on them, okay, that we go for the throat and start acting like the big club we are. I hope we do invest. I hope we put a team on the pitch next year that that clobbers them. That's my personal opinion. But anyway, that's it for this episode 73, this cup final preview. It's been about a half hour or so. Um, uh there's, you know, all that's left to do now is to play the match. Um, any news that may drop today, keep keep your eye on the on the social media. Uh, follow Abola, follow Record, and believe take everything with a grain of salt. However, um, as you as you read it, and um, hopefully we can lift the cup and put an end to this season with a positive note. And if so, Nelson Verissimo for whatever. You know shortcomings he may have, or for any criticism I've laid on Fab- on uh, Nelson Verissimo, um, if he wins the cup t- tomorrow, you know what? He is 
a cup winning manager with Benfica. He goes in the history book forever. And it may be the springboard he needs for that next job. Or maybe he's just going to be a, a house guy. He Some guys make a career of being you know, the, the, the house member of the staff. So maybe that's what's in the future for Verissimo. We'll see. A lot is going to happen in the next couple of weeks as our friend at Benfica Podcast, Cristiano, at CO10, 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 sorry, uh, on Twitter has been hinting, get ready for the wildest ride of an offseason. He knows something. That man knows something. He is connected. He knows something. I can't wait to see what it is. Shout out to Chris. Thank- <laughs> Thanks for all the information, bro. Uh, make sure you check out all the other Benfica projects out there. Also, they're all doing such a great job. Benfica Podcast, Benfica FM, Benfica After 90, Azagish, uh, Visão Vermelha. Check these all out. There's another one I found the other day, and I the, the name of it escapes me now, but I'll have it next week. There's another new uh, Benfica podcast in, in Portuguese that just uh, dropped their, I think they're in their ninth or tenth episode right now. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shout them out in the next episode. All right, so everybody, enjoy the match this week and have a great weekend, all right? Stay safe, of course. Hopefully we'll win, and hopefully we'll all party safe afterwards. We got a, we still got a lot of content coming out here on Mr. Benfica before this season is over. This may be the last match, but there's a review of that match coming, obviously. And I've got another episode the following week that you will not want to miss. All right, I'm going to have a guest, and we're going to talk about s- some of the, the stuff we never get a chance to talk about. And don't forget, there's still a 1988-89 review coming. Oh, uh, Sorry, 1989-90 review. I misspoke. Sven Joran Eriksson's first season back was 89-90. So we're going to review that season um, in the coming weeks. So there's plenty of content as we close out Season 2 of Mr. Benfica and get ready for Season 3. So stay tuned right here. Follow me on Twitter, of course, at Benfica Mr. On Instagram, at Mr. Benfica. On Facebook, at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And don't forget to keep an eye on www.mrbenfica.com. There'll be more stuff going there once these matches are over. Um, I'm going to be creating some, some different written material soon. And like I said, there's there's changes coming to that website uh, in the next coming months as um, we've got some plans in place, some some T's to cross and some I's to dot. But after that, we will see. And uh, check out the YouTube page uh, for Mr. Benfica. I sparingly, you know, here and there put some stuff up there. So always check that out, see if there's anything new. And I will catch you. Sunday night, perhaps Monday morning. Uh, look for the new episode Monday morning, um, reviewing the cup final. And don't forget to check out all the content over at the PTB Soccer Network at www.anchor.fm forward slash PTB Soccer or wherever you get your podcast. Search for the PTB Soccer Network. All right, there's stuff coming out there as well. Thank you. Have a great weekend again. And carrega Benfica, força Benfica, dama a taça. Have a good weekend, everybody. Jornada sofrida, a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida.
Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que eu não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa sorte O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica